I always make a point to shave before the podcast because it's a purely audio medium. <laughs> I just, I have to, I sound better when I shave. Well, at least there's less scratching amongst the mic. Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Welcome to the Mac DevOps podcast, where today we're joined by my amazing, smart, intelligent, and awesome co-host, JD. How are you doing, JD? Doing well, Matt. How are you doing? Caffeinated? I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, peak, peak caffeinated. Um, Excellent. How's the weather over there? In Celsius or in Fahrenheit, it is warming up. So it's warming up. Well, you live in a cold desert, up. so... yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm sad for you. But. So I think I think we're on par with uh, one of our guests today. Is, is temperature about four degrees Celsius or forty degrees Fahrenheit? Yeah, I don't understand Fahrenheit, but yeah, here in Vancouver, <laughs> Canada, um, it's uh, you know we're, we're on the wet coast where it usually rains a lot, like Seattle, but nicer, nicer rain because it's polite. It says I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm falling on you. It's about seven degrees and really sunny, and it feels like. Like it's like amazingly hot, even though seven degrees is not warm, but it's the first sunlight we've seen in a while. So we're all like, oh, my God. Today, we're joined by uh, two awesome guests from Snowflake. We have Dan and Tom. Dan, how's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. How about yourself? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. And, you know, uh, on the uh, East Coast over here, we have reaching 40 degrees in Fahrenheit. So 40 degrees in it's Fahrenheit. Cold. So that's that's cold, I guess. It's cold. Yeah. Sounds cold, like you should windy. be yeah, in Celsius, you'd be melting, but yeah, in Fahrenheit, <laughs> I, um, anyway, yes, uh, before this turns into a rant about, uh, you know, measurement systems, Tom, been trying to get you on the podcast forever. Now you're blogging about crazy stuff. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, uh, for taking the time to blog and to share the cool adventures you're running on. Today, we want to talk about your adventures with OS Query, Fleet, and Snowflake. What is a Snowflake? I have to start there. Like, what is, what is Snowflake? Snowflake is like a, it's a, it's like a data cloud platform, right? So it, it, it's, it's data warehousing, but it's a bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, uh, like Dan, Daniel here, his, his team uses, uh, Snowflake for security intelligence and data. Um, but it's, it, you, you can do like data science, data engineering, uh, data warehousing, um, you know, it's a data lake. Um, you can store all amounts of data. We have massive amounts of data sets and, uh, it's, it's pretty intuitive in the way that, uh, one can use the tool to access and, 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 and share and visualize data. And, you know, classically, if you look at some of the older on-prem tools, you know, they had a lot of extra steps where you had to build in data pipelines and then some sort of transformation to like index and tag the data. And then you might have to like split the data grokket or regex it to, and then, you know, then in post-processing, you can finally kind of like consume the data as like an end user or as a customer. And Snowflake kind of is just like, just ship everything. 
Like just ship everything and then we'll do everything in post-processing. So did, did it start from the, the IT side where you're shipping logs and then started off as a, an intelligent way to deal with logs that are being shipped and stored? Is that what it started with? Or are we shipping lots of different things? Like, uh, well, for us, for IT, um, it started with, uh, I don't, well, don't want to have to go to multiple APIs to get a full picture, right? So we use like Intune and Jamf as MDMs. We use ServiceNow as uh, asset manager. And then we have like our security tools and our other uh, tools that we deploy. And, you know, if you have to go to a bunch of web apps and, and port or build an API connector to download a bunch of CSVs, it's just, it's so time consuming. And by the time you get all that work done, you're already like weeks behind the current data, right? Like there's no fast way to do that. And, you know, we wanted to use our product. Uh, so that's kind of how we started from a, um, an IT perspective. And then I wanted event-based data. So I, I, I can talk about that a bit, bit more in depth as, as, as we go on. But, um, you know, sometimes event data for IT operation stuff's really good. Like, is your device checking into our MDM? Is your device submitting inventory to our MDM? Um, and those are all webhook events. And, you know, we have very simple queries that we've written from my team's perspective of if your device isn't submitting data, right, then it's it's in a broken state or it's in a weird state. And we don't have to worry about, you know, a bunch of local code trying to health check binaries or, or, or tools, because at the end of the day, if it's not submitting data, then something's wrong. And that's all based off of like webhook events. So um, it's really actually made our troubleshooting a lot easier. So has Snowflake become the dashboard to rule them all? Um, or is it more of a intelligent, intelligent uh, pot of pasta where it uh, intelligently uh, understands and makes the, uh, you know, applies a bunch of recipes and rules and, and uh, smart software to declare things and then send it somewhere else or is it the place is it a place where you're looking at or is it a combination of all those things or so i think this is where security does a, a lot of uh, cool stuff that my team is trying to do we're we're still getting there but yeah like we right now we do have like a remediation dashboard where we have all these metrics and you know some of them are based off like cis uh, frameworks uh, some are based off like leadership asks some are based off of uh, things that we are, are important to my team, right? So um, each 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 team and each kind of uh, I guess department or or the business they have different kinds of needs and asks. And uh, right now we're using that data to um, identify uh, failure points. Um, we've used the data to find a couple bugs, both vendor bugs and bugs that we self inflicted upon ourselves. And uh, our next step is to automate um, these remediation efforts into tickets. So right now, it's not really fully automated. There is some kind of human labor aspect to it. Uh, we just started an initiative to where we would run a query. And when devices meet these criteria of these failed conditions, we'll automatically go generate a ServiceNow ticket. That, that's kind of our, our, our next step. And then those then that ticket data will then be ingested, right? And then we can track, like, 
this is how many failures that we detected. Here's all the tickets. Like, here's the time it took to fix these. And here's the effort it took to fix these. And so, you know, we're using data to generate more data kind of in a, in a way, right? We're using the operational data uh, from our fleet to generate tickets. But then we're going to use that ticket data to kind of monitor our progress and our overall kind of ecosystem of how we're trying to, to you know, make everything better. Nice. I said over on the security side, so a lot of my use cases are sort of, you know, how can we sort of detect, you know, bad things happening? And one of the nice parts about Snowflake is it's just, and I hope I don't come off too salesy here, but coming from some other products that I've used, it's changed my life for a good way. So it's some of the things that we do, because we can sort of put all of the data in place, there's a whole lot of correlation opportunities that we can use to sort of answer questions that have been pretty hard to answer before. So like to Tom's point about, you know, agents checking in. Well, how do we know if the agent is checking in or if the user just turned their laptop? Events with Jamf, other agents they have a friend on the box, we can say, oh, you know, these agents are checking in, but this one isn't. And we can do that all in a very automated fashion, just querying the data, building simple dashboards on top of that, and then drive insights and actions from that data. So it's sort of being able to get all the data as close together, if that makes sense, as possible, in order to be able to answer the kind of questions to drive you know, actions and insights. That's uh, that's really interesting that you can sort of use multiple data points to uh, add intelligence as, you know, just to guess whether the laptop's off or asleep or just, uh, you know, broken in some other way. It's very interesting. I mean, how much time did it take you to sort of write these kind of rules or actions uh, or queries? Is it, These are Snowflake queries then or these not? Are, yeah, it's SQL. It's pretty standard SQL queries. So once the data is there, it's it's pretty easy. And the hard part, right, is usually I you know what I like to call like entities. So joining together, you know, your Jamf data with your your security monitoring agent data, you want to be able to know that you're looking at the right things. So serial numbers are easy, right? When you move into sort of other you know, assets like cloud assets or other kinds of containers, it can be a little trickier. But you know, all you have to do is like join event time and serial number, and then see what's checking in and what's not, and then we can build sort of. You know, this jam has checked in in the past day, but this other security tool hasn't checked in for three days. You know, something's up here, right? And, you know, look to see if it was disabled or potentially not just remediated with some auto remediation scripts. Yeah. Because what Tom's talking about, right? You know, you can generate a ticket, but then what we should be, you know, this is all sort of automated action. So if we know the agency of the United States, just automate the installation if it is necessary. So yeah, good uh, Good to clarify uh, some of the different use cases or, um, you know, um, What's the right way to say it? What are you guys interested in? One one side of you, Tom, you're in the IT sort of man- uh, endpoint management side. So that's your what you're looking for in the data. And then, Dan, you're on the security side. So you're looking for known malware, unknown malware, or other security compliance checking, that kind of stuff. So, And so how did you guys come up with um, using Fleet and OS Query? Um, how, where did that come up in the, in the conversation? Or- uh, so we use OS Query internally. Different teams use it for different different aspects. You know, for me, uh, really, it was you know we have this amazing platform that our company builds, and I was like, I want data faster. I want data, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, right? And give it to give it all to me. And MDM really doesn't kind of provide that. We also uh, support you know Windows and and Linux. Uh, in some capacities, and we have different environments from like physical laptops to AppStream environments and cloud-based VDI 
that we're also supporting. And so OS query just made a lot of sense just because it's cross-platform and we can standardize um, you know, data collection from a single tool. And Fleet was attractive to us because it focused on managing the OS query, right? So it, it, it gave us the ability to kind of centralize queries and, and packs and configurations. And they have some pretty nice automation tools for like, you know, like Orbit for like uh, creating installer packages and things like that. And they take care of the security aspect for you. So they generate all the security keys that your clients use to securely communicate with the server side. And uh, they use Kinesis Firehose as an option when you, when, you, when you host it. So we can stream data to an S3 bucket. And you know, when, I, when I saw this stuff, it was just like, wow, they're just checking all the boxes for me. Uh, this is pretty much what we wanted. And we got a pilot going. Uh, the, we're not in production yet moving that pilot through uh, our procurement process, right? So other, other humans are involved now. So when other humans get involved, it, it slows down a bit. But uh, we're super impressed. And we, in our pilot, we were collecting data every 15 minutes across our fleet. We were getting it fast. Uh, we were getting it right into Snowflake. And so how Snowpipe works, it uses Amazon's SQS API. So whenever you write to an S3 bucket, the API, the event API sends an event to Snowpipe and goes, hey, there's new data here. And Snowpipe just goes and consumes it automatically. And that's all through like Snowflake's native cloud integration. There's many ways to get data into Snowflake. I like that way personally, because it's stupid easy. You know, it's like, hey, I just go set up a S3 bucket. Uh, here's my SQS event. And then let me just do a account, you know, cloud to cloud integration and I'm done. And does it copy it to a new location for Snowpipe to do its magic? Or it just says, hey, there's data being stored here. Read it and look at it. Or Yeah, it, it loads it in, 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 into Snowflake. And, you know, the, the architecture of Snowflake is uh, when it gets into, like, the, in the weeds tech stacks, I, it, a lot of it's magic to me. Yeah. Uh, so, you know? They explain it so simply, and then you dive into the, the specifics, and it's like, oh, this is wizardry. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's built on top of like all you know we're, we're it's built on top of all three clouds it just kind of uses a lot of the basic cloud functionality like you know s3 buckets gcp buckets yeah. and then it just does it better and you know so like it, it copies it from your you know where your stage units that's what it's called you know snow pipes and stages to, to snowflake and then you can sort of clean it up because you know you don't want to have the double storage costs you just keep it in snowflake from there mm. Nice. So if it's if it's dumping it into an S3 bucket, that's got to be a file of some some sort. Are you just dumping like a JSON file of data there? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, JSON, XML. Oh, it doesn't really matter. ESVs. Uh, it supports a lot of different file formats. Personally, and that's the other thing too, right? So Fleet could just from Firehose, Fleet can just dump those JSON files. And Snowflake handles JSON very nicely, uh, natively. And if you've done any uh, basic SQL, the query syntax to just natively, you know, parse uh, JSON files, pretty simple. Nice. Well, we'll, we'll make sure to uh, put your uh, blog post in the uh, show notes uh, on your <laughs> GitHub, GitHub IO, because you've got a, a good top level overview of uh, how everything works and uh, very helpful. 
Tom's using OS Query to sort of look at monitoring our endpoints. We've also been using it to monitor our production infrastructure for a while. And while we don't use Fleet, we've been looking at a number of options because management's you know, a pain for OS Query if you do it by hand. But yeah, we've been using that for a number of years now. And I think I, you know, I shared a Twitter comment that like we had 200 terabytes of OS Query data, which I thought was a lot. Uh, it's not. I, I took a, you know, a harder look before this podcast of like, well, how much do we actually have? We have you know, about 1 million rows of OS Query data by some uncompressed math was about 0.75 gigabytes. And I don't know how to say this number out loud, but we have about 3.7 petabytes of uncompressed OS Query data. And is that useful data, Dan? So yes, like what Tom was saying, right? There's sort of two things that are really, really useful when you're trying to interrogate a system. What was the state of this system? And what events have occurred on the system? And being able to sort of join those and look for incongruencies in that data is super useful. I think Tom has an example that he may walk through of like being able to look through how things are behaving now versus how they behaved a year ago in order Mm -hmm. to understand potential bugs or, you know, from the security perspective, potential compromises is incredibly useful. Yeah, actually, I I just did this last week working with someone on your side of of the org, uh, Daniel. There was some questions about uh, data around some systems. And I was like, well, what's the historic data, you know, stay? And I just did a six-month trend. I I didn't go back too far. I I just did six months. But you could see in that six months, there were several points in time where the data flipped. And I was like, well, you know, that value was not that value this month and and that month, but it was that value outside of that. So we know that we know the window of when, when that data set changed. And that's all we need to know to eliminate like half of the other assumptions. Um, And I, I like to, I like to joke about how our data science approach on, on, I'm from, I won't speak for my team. I'll, I'll only speak for myself on this, but my data science approach is like really dumb middle school science where you learn like the scientific method of like trial and error and process of elimination and collecting data with a hypothesis. Right. And that's literally what I do with the data. You know, if I can point out a time in history where an event occurred in this, you know, couple weeks, then everything else that, that, that isn't relevant to those two weeks, I can kind of eliminate off my list. And you know, that, that power saves hours and hours of like playing detect data detective, right? Because you can say, okay, in this, in this data set, I know that this condition or this state was in this week last October, for example. Right. It also makes audits easy because they're like, how long do you keep the data? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> There's no hot, cold storage. It's just the data and it's all there. That might get expensive after a while though. So, we charge by credit. It's a weird pricing consumption model where you charge based on how much you consume and consumption of data is based sort of on the complexity and how much data you analyze. So I don't think we charge per storage. We'll have to double check, so don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it's like a consumption model. Okay. The data just sitting there. You're not really consuming anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm bad at sales, but I, I think you can bring your own storage. But yeah, storage is so cheap these days that you know it really isn't necessarily anything but a line item. Uh, and then we separate storage from compute. Uh, that, that's one of like Snowflake's big milestones is that we separate storage from compute. So really your cost comes from compute. It's when you're crunching the data, right? And we're a consumption model. So we want our customers to pay for the product, mostly when they're using it, 
versus let me go load a petabyte of org data into a data tool and then pay this hefty license fee forever uh, because I have a petabyte of data, right? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting observation because, um, I mean, in my uh, uh, line of work with storage and media clients and oh, yeah. people even just trying to answer the question of what should we back up, you know, like what's changed over our, you know, it could be 20 terabytes, could be three petabytes, but, you know, there's a penalty for, for crawling through your storage and going, what has changed? What should I back up? What's new? You know, and I, I heard from some people that, you know, it would take them a week to to go through their petabyte. And then by the time the week had happened, well, they had another, you know, half a petabyte of stuff and they, you know, they were out of sync, right? And some tools that they needed would charge by how much storage do you have, which kind of would penalize the people that very much needed <laughs> the tool to analyze all their storage. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I will say, though, I'm a terrible person to ask about, like, cost efficiency because I work for Snowflake. So yeah. we I like personally, I I don't ever care about cost efficiency. I wait for other people at my company to tell me that, whoa, you're doing too much. Maybe tone down your data a bit. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we won't. We're we going to get a carte blanche with something sometimes yeah. Maybe yeah. when we shouldn't. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, we're like, yeah, we're going to need to do this for security. Okay, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> we're not here to talk about uh, the price. We're not here to to sell it. But what we want to talk about is just how it works and how it makes your job easier. And let's talk about like Fleet for a second. How did you end up with Fleet? And I think you talked a little bit about it, but what 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 is it helping you with? I guess it's talking easily to Snowflake, uh, like it sends data easily. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, no, no MDM tool is created equally and uh, MDM serves a purpose, right? So it, it's an IT operations tool and it's for what it like the value that MDM brings to an IT org is generally around MDM things like, and, 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 I, and I think that's fine. Like I'm not trying to dog on MDM here, but MDM is not a data collection tool and it's, and it's not a data warehouse. You're not gonna you're not gonna warehouse hundreds of gigs of ops data in an MDM tool. It's just not built for that. Right. Uh, and so you know, Intune gives us uh, some basic data around logs, and it dumps it to Azure Blob Storage, and we ingest it into Snowflake. But it's it's really just high level basic. And we wanted we wanted a deeper data set around our Windows deployment, and so uh, OS Query just like perfect for that like knocks it out of the park right. and then on, on the mac side you know like i didn't want to wait 24 hours to collect data i'm like why can't we just collect it every 15 30 minutes and that was kind of the story i started with i started with uh could i get data from every device in our fleet every 30 minutes or less right and that's kind of where it started and you know we we looked at some os query like tools and like I mentioned earlier, uh, Fleet just kind of checked all the boxes. Like some of the other OS query tools, they're all like uh, they're more like user security story type tools, which is, which is great. I think that's great. It's just we weren't looking for that. We just wanted the data. Yeah, there's a lot of useful security questions that you can use OS query to interrogate. Though a lot of you know traditional EDR endpoint detection and response vendors just don't offer for various reasons. So you know. All the hotness these days with security is no Chrome plugins. You know, users install Chrome plugins, which you know send their socials and what have you. So OS Query just offers like, hey, you want the Chrome plugins? Here they are. Yeah. And it, you know, compared to others' tools, you know, it can be relatively lightweight in terms of you know, depending on what data you're collecting. But you know, 
pretty yeah. transparent users a lot of the time. And the other thing too, uh, Matt, is that uh, Fleet has like kind of this uh, Teams RBAC feature that was kind of attractive to us because my team and, and like Daniel's team, we work pretty closely side by side. In fact, I have, uh, <laughs> I've given Daniel many Jira tickets to create data for me. Nice. Yeah. So I was like, hey, I need data around these tools, you know, and what, what they'll do is they'll create a data set and then they'll, we'll, use, we'll use what's called data sharing. And, you know, I also wanted to extend OS query to security teams like Daniel's team or, um, you know, possibly compliance or another team. And instead of them bugging us for data, right, or opening up tickets, if there's a way for me to just let them run a query, and obviously there'll be controls and a process in place, I'm not going to let them YOLO a query out to, to the fleet because then everyone will come after me with torches for taking up that CPU. But, you know, we, we, we want to collaborate more. And I think this data sharing model really drives that. And, you know, if, if Daniel needs to investigate something from, from a security perspective and he doesn't have access to the data or the tools, he has to come through someone like me or my team. And I would rather just enable him to go do it himself or he doesn't need that red tape of a ticket or engagement, you know? So RBAC, role-based access control. So ah, yes. <laughs> let's expand that four-letter acronym. Yeah. So that's the concept that we can assign roles, maybe limited privileges or access to different parts of a, an application. So that's allowing you to give permission to multiple people to access or to make OS queries in, in fleet. Is that what it is? Or, um, yeah, yeah. Like we would like, you know, and this is all hypothetical. So I feel kind of weird talking about it because we haven't really committed to anything yet. And <laughs> it could possibly I'll work you this. To this Tom. If you promise these features, I will hold you to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll just replay this podcast. Like, well, you said it on the podcast. You said I could have the data. <laughs> uh, but I, ideally, yeah, you can log into like the fleet portal and there would be like a team, like a blue, like a blue team team, which is redundant, but they call it team. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, a, a blue teamer could log in and they get the blue team group and we can assign certain uh, levels of access and, you know, for like rapid one-off and, like incident and response investigations, I think OS query is fantastic because you can literally scope it to one device and say, you know, is this the really bad hash of this really bad, nasty Vuln app on this one system that's critical? Uh, go and you get results in real time, uh, near real time. I don't want to say real time, near real time, uh, back pretty quick. And, um, you know, I would like to extend that functionality to other teams. Because at the end of the day, you know, not only are we kind of the stewards and custodians of our of our fleet, but we're also a service provider. So we want to we want to provide our services to other teams internally. Yeah, I, I've been playing with fleet a little bit and uh, with the uh, the Docker spun up Linux, um, yeah. as well as just I have a, a, not quite a fleet in my home office, but I have a lot <laughs> of machines. Uh, we have a Windows gaming machine that has snuck into our house. So I was like, I'm going to install those query and fleet on there. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> see what ha what's happening on the uh, kids gaming. 
device. You know, it could be a, a security nightmare and a great data source. But uh, yeah, it's really nice in Fleet to be able to just to go, oh, this query is for all, mm -hmm. all OSs and everything, or this query is just for Windows machines, this query is for Linux, or or you can just go, I just want to find out on this. Like, you know, I, uh, you could look up, oh, what version of Bash is everyone running? What version of... Oh, is anyone running the uh, you know the, the 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 bad version of PK Exec, or you could look for some other app that's installed, and and you know the queries can come in, and the fleet really helps with sorting out what you're asking and to to where you're asking it. So there's a lot of good stuff built into the to the app. Good job to uh, Mike and everybody at uh, Fleet. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty excited to to roll this out to production if if we are able to. You know, another thing too that we've been trying to to wrangle is like software licensing. We we have a few apps that that go to certain teams, and then if you are outside those teams, you can request a license. And it's just it's been a nightmare to kind of manage that stuff because one, the the vendors don't have great tools or integration. Like they don't support Skim, for example. And I guess Skim is. Something identity management. What what does it actually stand for? I forget now. It's like systems. Um, since we went on the acronyms here, right? <laughs> I actually probably explain this. It, it, it's a way to provision system uh, for cross-domain identity management. Cross-domain. There we go. That's what I was looking for. So it, it it's a it's a system where uh, you can provision access to applications based off identity. So, for example, we could have app application one, two, three, and have some sort of uh, identity group based to that. And if we drop you in that group, when you authenticate to the IDP, you're granted access. So not every vendor does that. And OS Query has this uh, ability to uh, get metadata on, on, on Macs. So you can start querying like the last time an app was opened. And then since Snowflake, we don't have any capacity issues. I can query that over and over again and trend it for months or years. Um, nice. And then it becomes a question of, well, how often does a user have to use an app to justify getting a license? I don't have the answer to that, but that's kind of like one of the ideas that I want to do with OS Query as well to save the company money, potentially. I'll ask this to both of you, but Dan first. Uh, so Dan, how do you find out how to write the right OS query queries uh, or find the right packs or to construct these things? And then also, how do you how do you measure them if you measure them uh, in terms of the sense of, is this query crazy and going to kill machines that I'm asking those questions of? Or is this query sane and uh, reasonable? Yeah, I'll start with, uh, I have this great resource called Google. <laughs> where I don't know how to do anything, and other people already have solved those problems. So I usually venture off in those directions. For performance testing, you know, we, we haven't rolled out too many changes to prod in terms of that, but you know, I, we're, I usually rely on other teams in order to assist with understanding the performance impacts, especially with prod. There's different workloads, different kinds of systems. Mm -hmm. um, so there's different teams who can sort of help us understand the impact of certain changes that a certain query or collecting additional information would have. Um, but we collect a lot already from OS Query. We stream, process, and socket events. So I understand that. I think those can be pretty hefty. So and people are using the machines. There's the, still, the you still have users. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the <laughs> machines are using the machines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, for for Corp, um, we're gonna have to sort of come up with a process there in terms of understanding that we don't, you know, make people hate us. And, you know, when we're collecting information. 
Yeah, I think Fleet has a. I know you said you you're maybe not using Fleet on your side of the OS query uh, divide there, but I think Fleet has a way of of testing queries and then uh, adding a certain I don't know what the priority level, or you can say what if you're allowed to run this query or if this query is expensive. Or Tom, yeah. have you run into that or played with that or? Yeah, I did actually. So uh, I wrote a ridiculous query, and actually, I, I had I had a bit of help from the OS query community and the Fleet folks. So shout out to everybody that. Uh, chimed in and, and, and helped me kind of piece that thing together. I wrote a pretty crazy query that just like joins every file path and for, for what's considered an application and then hashes it. And it gives me like a SHA and an MD5 hash. And I was just like, uh, what if I were just to hash everything every 15 minutes on a, on a computer? Like, because that, 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 that's kind of compute heavy. And I only ran it on my systems. So I wasn't, you know, Fleet allowed me to target my, only my systems. That query took a good like three to five minutes to run, and I would and I would launch Activity Monitor and I would watch OS Query D go from like you know point one percent to like a hundred plus percent CPU usage. So it was definitely hogging up like an entire core almost on my laptop. And I was like, okay, well we can't do that, you know. So I'm doing it, I guess, like the barbarian way, where I'm just kind of brute force hacking queries together to see how heavy handed I can get and then just take note of, yeah, I can't do that. And I kind of just run it on my test machines only. And so, you know, if someone goes, I want a hash of every app, I'm going to say, no, you can't do that. Like pick, pick which app you want to hash of and, and get that one. If you want hashes of everything, it's not going to happen. What, what does giving getting a hash of, of an app give you? What does that, what's the purpose? What does that, Couple things. Uh, one, I guess, if you go to like a vulner- like a known vulnerability database, right? They might have hashes of like known bad bad apps. The other thing that I was trying to piece together as kind of just a side project was an application catalog that would have like release date, version, hash, where I could go back in time and say, you know, Mozilla released this version of Firefox on this date, and then it took us X amount of days to patch the entire fleet. And I was going to maybe look at like just hashing the versions to to do like a, a hash check in Snowflake later uh, in post-processing. Like a hash for you is like a, that you're talking like a SHA sum or something? Yeah, or, yeah just any, any kind of hash that, that would be able to do a quick comparison of like when we, uh, like the, the, the end goal was how do I track how fast we patch things over time uh, per an app? And, so and I don't really know how to do that yet. So I tried hashing, right? I'm just testing stuff out. Yeah, you invented Santa Query. <laughs> yeah. You basically made Santa out of OS Query. I mean, yeah. you, you... and then there's you know useful security things there as well, right? With hashes, like you know, let's not uncommon for attackers to be like, oh, we're gonna spoof, you know, Sublime or something, and say like, oh yeah, everybody's running Sublime six point three, but the hash for this system is different in order to sort of identify masquerading. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> the, the, that, that brings me to a, a couple of questions like on how are you updating apps? Are you using Monkey or Jamf or some other tool for putting apps in place and, and updating them? Or are you using some tool? That's a great question because we are currently in a transition. I started at Snowflake like three plus, three and a half years ago. And we were still kind of in like the late startup phase, you know, kind of like transitioning from a startup to a more mature enterprise. And I actually replaced the IT engineer who transferred to cloud engineering at Snowflake, who ironically is now back on my team. He just moved back to my team 
last month. So he went full circle from IT to engineering and back to IT. But we had JSS Importer and Auto PKG and some Python code running. I knew that it wouldn't be sustainable uh, in the long run. But when I got hired, I was I was a one band, right? Didn't have a team yet. Over the last year, year and a half, I went from a one-person show to a five- or six-person team now. So we are diversifying our tools now. We, have a, we, we hired some DevOps people. They're building a back-end uh, CI-CD process with like GitHub Enterprise and GitHub Actions and remote runners. Uh, we got Monkey and Gorilla. Uh, Gorilla actually is, in, is live now. It's in production. Nice. It's like Monkey for Windows, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then we got Monkey going uh, in, a, in a pre-pilot right now. It's taken us a bit longer to get there because uh, we're going to have to do a hard cut over from all the tooling that I wrote beforehand to Monkey. And so we want to make sure the user experience is right. And we're making a lot of progress. We're not there yet. So I hope to be, I hope to be live in production with Monkey within a quarter or so. Uh, nice. Absolute latest this summer. Uh, installing apps and keeping apps up to date is part of the the security story and yeah. uh, and keeping track of versions and being able to roll back and um, a related question of how you install apps and keep in keeping track of versions I was thinking because I, I ran into this where you know I, I uh, often let in depending on the uh, on the the situation the clients and stuff I, I often let them to self update as well as have yeah. monkey in the back end you know just making sure that apps get updated but I find that sometimes developers, you know, that's another world uh, where developers could sometimes release a same version with a different build number, or sometimes developers mm-hmm. have different sneaky things they do, like, oh, we'll just ship a small change, but the version number is the same, but they'll have an extra build number or something. So sometimes I'll, I'll be looking, like sometimes I use Monkey Report as well as, as OS Query to look at stuff, and I find that looking at different dashboards in different ways gives you different insights. And sometimes I was like, huh, all these say they're the same version, but they have different build numbers, and I'm like, what's going on? And then you, know, you sort of look look into it, you know, because then that could be like on Dan's side where if you're looking at, you know, what version of software you have, then definitely, you know, it could be just depends on where they got the version from, whether you're an internal repo or they self-updated, you yeah. know, are they are they, get, are they all suddenly getting the App Store version of Office or did they get the version yeah. of Office from your, from your monkey repo or somewhere else? Which of the 13 different places did they get Python from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, ship your own Python and then, you know, pip your own Python and then get Python and, and then brew install your Python. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> Don't get me started with brew, man. <laughs> it makes me want to drink. <laughs> but it's not just a name. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, what's one thing you want for OS Query to do that it doesn't do right now? Ooh, that's an interesting question. But being able to sort of, well, we talked about sort of states and events, but being able to sort of, specify to watch for a specific state change and trigger events off of that. You know, let's you know, let's pick it like the Etsy password file. You know, I can get copies of that every so often as I would need it. And I can watch for events that maybe were mod like, you know, for rights to it, but just sort of like a specific event that says, you know, I guess that there's FIM for that, you know, the FIM module. So maybe that one actually would apply. I mean, but yeah, it's 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 a maybe it's similar to file integrity monitoring, but maybe just event kind of like configuration management, right? We're inventing yeah. configuration management based on OS query. We want, this is the new information, do something, right? What about you, Tom? You know, we have another story to ship logs. And so when I, when I, look, when I look at data, you know, I, I have like four pillars of data that I, I, I like. That is, is like configuration and stateful data, right? Log data, right? 
event data and then application data are kind of like that, that. That's kind of my starter pack of where I, I I start to build stuff and and look at stuff. And OS Query doesn't really ship logs. It would be nice if it did, but it's not really in its wheelhouse. So it's it's like you know it's like that old Unix philosophy, right? You do one thing and do it well versus the Swiss Army knife kind of like. I got all these tools, but they're not the best tool to do the job. That is something that, you know, we're looking at probably doing file beat or something at some point to ship the logs because uh, we don't have log shipping yet. OS Query, though, is is pretty solid for for my needs. So, yeah, I really can't think of much besides, like, the log shipping aspect and maybe just a, a general, like, quality of life, like, easier way to you to like manage OS query. Like, you know, here's all the packs I want. Um, or maybe I could manage it in like a state file, like server side. Like what I would like is OS query to be self-managed where I will, I don't, I don't need to like use a configuration tool or I don't need to write a script or have another, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have another tool manage OS query. So like one of our big initiatives for our tools diversification project where we're splitting out like monkey gorilla OS query and we have uh, we have SaaS offerings. We have virtual desktops. I'm I'm getting rid of uh, laptops where it makes sense, and I'm replacing it with like VDI and app streaming. And so all these tools are independent of each other, and the dependencies don't overlap. So if I can get OS Query to have less dependencies, I think that would be great. Versus having to have another tool manage it. Nice. Some of my testing, I realized that my M1 laptop was reporting as i486 and i was like oh wait a minute is it running in rosetta like this is not good information <laughs> i just noticed just like very recently uh they just announced the m1 native version of os query so i was like oh good data is nice but accurate data is better <laughs> just like yeah. if it can report itself as a m1 when it's running on m1 that that helps right but uh, yeah, no, it, uh, thanks to, to Fleet and OS Query, we were getting data. And thanks to Snowflake for trying to make some intelligence out of it. That's that's the thing. I mean, I haven't used Snowflake, but I remember when I first started using Splunk a million years ago, I was trying to get it to analyze some stuff from, from the storage I was using, which was XN and trying to understand. But you know, the missing piece was I didn't know how to analyze the data or get Splunk you know, at that time to to give me some intelligence about the data. I'm like, what does this mean? Like, I don't know what it means. So you tell me what it means. And then Splunk's like, I don't know what it means either. So, you know, <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it wasn't, well, it, it, you know, maybe it was early days or I was using, holding it wrong, you know, holding that. Yeah. But uh, that's the thing, right? You can get data, but how easy is it to analyze and get your intelligence or your actionable data or your. Yeah. I can only speak from personal experience, but uh, at a previous life, I set up an elk stack, which is uh, Elasticsearch Logstash and Kibana. And, you know, it took me weeks to get like MTLS secure communications working across the clusters and to get Logstash and a certificate to ship, or sorry, file beat to ship uh, logs to a file or a Logstash server, an MTLS termination and then all the grokking. And then once I got data in there, I had to learn Lucene, Apache Lucene, which is a querying language. And it's a bit esoteric. Like I had never touched Apache Lucene ever in my entire life until I used Elastic. And then I get to Snowflake and it's like, it's just SQL. I feel that from an IT ops standpoint, you know, once you've been in IT long enough, you probably have managed a some Microsoft SQL servers or some MySQL servers 
or some Postgres or some sort of SQL product that you probably already know a little bit of SQL just because how popular it is. So I, I just feel the learning curve overall uh, is a lot easier. And you don't really need to know all the warehouse management stuff because it's a SaaS. So we kind of adjust those knobs for you. Nice. I've, I've had some experience with Elastic and other uh, uh, tools. And when, when I've seen other people use them well, I mean, it looks awesome. And when I've oh, been yeah. not using it well, it seems less awesome. But, you know, it's like search. Gosh, darn it. Like, this is the one thing you're supposed to be able to do is find things. I can't find it, though. We all appreciate uh, uh, good tools in the tool toolbox. So it sounds like uh, your uh, team and your org is working on some awesome stuff. Appreciate you blogging about it, tweeting about it, even bragging about it. <laughs> finding, finding uh, you know, uh, useful things to do to help secure our endpoints and uh, manage our Macs and everything is, is, the, is the goal. So... Um, Appreciate the, the the research you guys are uh, doing and sharing with everyone. Uh, thanks so much, Dan and Tom. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having. Where do we find you on the internet, Tom? How do we find you? How do we reach you? Uh, I am at tlark eight number eight on Twitter. Uh, for some reason, did you try the first seven first to double check. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I did. Uh, I tried at T. So I have I got a nickname tlark a long time ago. And I tried using it on Twitter, and it was like already taken. But we auto suggest number eight, and I'm like, "Wow, there's, there's eight people with this name." All right, I just took it. So, okay, T Lark. Yeah, I'm also a T Lark on Mac admins. And Dan, I'm just uh, at Daniel underscore Infosec on Twitter, and then uh, yeah, things from there. So that's mainly where I talk about my cats. Nice, <laughs> nice. Your Infosec cats. Yeah, they've been awesome. trying to get my attention this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, and uh, stay tuned to uh, Twitter for all your good news. Awesome. Thanks yeah. for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. Whew. The Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast is looking for sponsors. Support and encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community by sponsoring Mac DevOps. If you're interested in sponsoring the Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast, send an email to hello at mdoyvr.com. Thank you to our awesome Mac DevOps sponsors. For the 2022 Mac DevOps conference, we would like to thank Kanji, our platinum sponsor. Thank you, Kanji. Visit them at kanji.io. Our gold sponsor is SimpleMDM. Thank you, SimpleMDM. Visit them at simplemdm.com. And thank you to our live stream sponsor, Mac Stadium. Visit them at macstadium.com. Also, thank you our graphics recording sponsor, FleetDM. Visit them at fleetdm.com. Please take a moment to visit our sponsors. We could not hold Mac DevOps YVR without the support of our sponsors. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. Yeah, I got the fancy mic, but I guess it auto-swapped. Say the smart thing again. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fine. No, it's fine. Yeah, you'll say something smart again. I know. Um, <laughs> no, that was the, that was the one a day. You got me. Oh. <laughs>